0: All right, if you want to grab a seat, that would be awesome. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Derwin, and uh, I want to just a shout out to uh, Saeed and Kirsten. We're so cheering you on. And uh, what Emily was referring to was was the kind of testing. Remember when Jesus got baptized? Did anyone remember what happened exactly next? Forty days in the wilderness wilderness being tested. Uh, And so that's why we pray for anybody who's taking that step. It's not a reason not to take the step, but it's good to have your eyes open that actually this journey with Jesus involves some shaping and, and testing in our lives. But what great news, huh? Good to see their stories. Uh, In other news, I want to take a couple minutes or moments to recognize a couple families who are actually moving away. So sad. Uh, Sylvia uh, Gagnon and Luke McKnight are moving closer to family in Winnipeg. And uh, Sylvia came to church, came to Hillside maybe about 15 years, and she's been back and forth kind of in that time. Uh, And then she met Luke and kind of dragged him along, and they've been very, very connected, especially the last couple years in a life group, and uh, we've been thrilled to have them as part of our community. And we're going to be saying goodbye to them in our second service, I believe. And then Al and Marilyn Jansen. Many of you know Al and Marilyn. They actually are moving to Kelowna this Tuesday. Very sudden. God just kind of opened a a series of doors for them. They had a lot of things going on, uh, including the owner of the home where they're renting just sold out from under them just quite quickly. And uh, this week, Marilyn sent this email Uh, I tried to get her to to actually read this in person, but she says, no way, I'll cry the whole way through. But she sent me something that I wanted to share with you for your encouragement. Al and I want to say a massive thank you to you and the whole Hillside family. From the first day here at Hillside, back in 2015, we both felt at home. The love, care, and generosity extended toward us has been so amazing. Uh, These have not been easy years. We've had some challenging times, and it's been the support and prayers of this community at Hillside that has helped us through. We experienced and have seen God stretching us, directing us, and even making us grow a bit during our time here. We are changed for the better. Leaving is very, very hard for us, but we know God is directing us. So many miracles and answers to prayer that if we didn't go, I'm sure we would be swallowed by a whale. (laughs) Good Jonah reference there. We have learned to trust more and not be afraid to leave everything in God's hands. The ones we love, we know that God loves even more. Finding a new church family like this one seems impossible, but I know God will put us where he wants us. We thank God for this church and that we could be part of this hillside family. We're excited to see why God is so clearly leading us to Kelowna. I'm not afraid now to say, what's next, God? I used to say, what else could happen? (laughs) But now I can say with joyful anticipation, what's next, God? We're so thankful for each one who's prayed for us. Please keep praying. We can't go or do anything without first praying. So my biggest thanks is to God. What a privilege it's been that he's allowed, he'd allowed us to be part of his family. Please look for us, if any of you come, for, come to Kelowna. Love from Al and Marilyn. I love it. Isn't that good? I love that... Uh, that trajectory from saying what else could happen to us to what's next god (laughs) what an encouraging journey so good both those families uh we want to be cheering you on and we're going to be praying for them in the second service let's pray for them and pray together just even now oh god we're grateful that you're here and uh we uh lift up these two families as you're moving them on god you've often made hillside kind of a hub church like at an airport where people come and, and they're here for a while and then you, you take them to another part of the world and we've seen that time and time again. And, and we, our desire is to actually send them more grounded, more rooted, more alive in their faith and God, I thank you for, you've done that in Sylvia and Luke and and Alan, Maryland. And as you send them to these new, new places, we pray, would you settle them well and uh, give them all that they need. Continue to provide, continue to lead Uh, Give them a new family to participate in, in Christ. We bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. And now as we look to your word, with Pentecost, the day the Spirit was given in mind, we pray, come Holy Spirit to my mind. I receive your comfort. Come Holy Spirit to my heart. I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. We honor you, Holy Spirit, come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, It's great to see what God is up to uh, in these families, but it's great to see what God is up to in you and in me and in this church, especially on this Pentecost Sunday where we remember that... Sorry? My pages are really out of order. Steven, can you bring me page two? Because <laughs> page two is kind of like, you know, launch pad for this thing. I'm not good enough that I've memorized what I prepared. Yay, Steven! So I it is page two. It it just really shifted gears for me, like, to the end of the sermon, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense, you know? Come now for prayer. (laughs) On on Pentecost Sunday, we remember the gift of the Spirit, and and I love it when in a church, when in God's people, the Holy Spirit moves from a, a theological idea to an experiential reality and becomes a... a a part of us. That's part of what we've been praying for and seeking God for in these these 10 days of prayer and fasting, which we wrapped up yesterday. By the way, uh, we'd love to have your feedback and your input on what that was like for you. For those who actually did some seeking and praying, whatever you did, uh, next Sunday, we're going to give a little time just to have testimonies and stories. And so if you'd like to prepare for something to share next week, you can actually contact me or I might just stick a, a microphone in some people's faces. Um, it'll be fun, I promise you, uh, only with your permission, of course. Uh, so that's, that's next Sunday. But when it comes to talking about God showing up, when you, you read the Gospels, the stories uh, of Jesus, one of the things you can't help but notice is just the sheer quantity of miracles that happened. Now, they were actually spread out over three years of Jesus' ministry, but I think most of us would be happy if we experienced one miracle in three years. Now, compare that with what Jesus said in John 14, 12. He said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. That would be amazing enough if Jesus stopped there, but he adds a line. Jesus says, And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And he'd go on to say how he would send the Holy Spirit, and that's part of how those greater things take place in our lives is by the Spirit. But when I read a verse like that and, and, and I read the gospels, here's what I realize there's sometimes a, a gap, sometimes a large gap between my theology, what I believe about God, and my reality. I believe john 14 twelve but I 'm not there yet. there's a, a gap between what I believe and what I'm experiencing and And friends, I'm praying that God would close the gap. And this series is really about closing the gap between our reality and our theology. And that involves a lot of seeking, a lot of believing, and a lot of waiting. Um, Many of you know my sons. They're not little anymore. They're big, grown men. But when they were young, uh, if you ask that well-known question of little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? One wanted to be Prime Minister of Canada you know, uh, or, a, or a builder, like, or, or a, like he wanted to build skyscrapers. So prime minister or builder, you know, that kind of thing. The other wanted to be a rock star or a famous scientist. Really, really, you know, paired careers there, right? You just think those go together. And it was interesting uh, to watch them grow up as they, they shared their dreams for the, the future. Their dreams became far more grounded along the way. But there's this beauty about childhood. You don't know what can't happen, right? And I think that's actually not a bad definition of faith. You know you have faith when you don't know what can't happen. When the disciples started following Jesus, I I don't think they had any idea what to expect. I mean, at the end of those three years, they saw Jesus do so many out-of-the-box things. They didn't know what couldn't happen. And because they didn't know what couldn't happen, God did some amazing things, right? Matthew 17 records one of the the wildest, uh, you know, stories in Scripture, in in the Gospels. It's so good. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, but I'm going to read it. Listen to this. Verse 24 says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the place that Jesus hung out a lot, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax. That's a tax that was taken at the temple. Two drachma would be the equivalent of two or three days wages. When they, the collectors of this tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? Peter answered, from others. Jesus said, then the children are exempt. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the bank, withdraw four drachma, and pay the tax. It's actually not what it says. Jesus said, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, take out the hook, sell the fish at the market, and pay the taxes. That's not what it says either. Jesus said, take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, I, I think we are so accustomed to Jesus doing amazing things that these kind of stories can kind of go in one ear and write out the other again, but this is like crazy. Isn't that like the wackiest miracle you have ever heard of? Now, part of me wonders if Peter thought Jesus was joking. I mean, mean, you read the Gospels, and don't you think sometimes that Jesus just might have been a bit of a practical joker? You know, and I think Peter is wondering here whether Jesus is serious or joking. This has to rank as the craziest thing that Jesus ever asked Peter to do, fish for taxes. So here's my question. Why did Jesus do it this way? I I mean, he could have provided the four drachma coin any way he wanted. He could have said, on the way to the temple— you're going to find a four drachma coin on the sidewalk. Or, or go to the bank and you'll discover that, that a four drachma deposit has been wired from a bank in Switzerland. Even though Switzerland didn't exist in the first century. Whatever. The possibilities are endless. He could have provided this coin any way he wanted to. So why did he do it this way? For, for one, I, I think Jesus loved doing... Miracles in different ways. I mean, he was God in the flesh. God is the creator. And Jesus was infinitely creative. He never seemed to do the miracle, miracles in the same way. I, I don't think the disciples ever said, been there, done that. <laughs> but this one takes the cake, fishing for money. Why did Jesus do it that way? Here's a thought. What did Peter do before following Jesus? Jesus. He was a fisherman. He was a professional fisherman. This was his vocation. I, I suspect that Peter thought he knew more about fishing than Jesus did. Right? He could fish, you know, double rodded. <laughs> Two hands at the same time, you know. One around the back, between the legs. Uh, he could do 360s with his little boat, you know. I mean, he, he knew the tricks of the trade. Uh, fishing was his area of greatest proficiency and self-sufficiency. It was the thing that Peter knew best. And I think Jesus wanted to do a miracle in Peter's life where he least expected it. Let me explain. How many fish do you think Peter caught in his lifetime? Let's do a little math. Um, in John 21, that we're told the disciples were out fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus says, take your nets and throw them on the other side and they catch 153 fish. Let's say that 153 fish is a miraculous catch. So what's an average catch? Maybe, I don't know, 25 fish a day could be what you might call an average catch for a fisherman. And Let's say Peter fished 300 days a year, and let's say that Peter was maybe the same age as Jesus, so 33 years old. Do the math, and you come up with a guesstimate. Peter caught, like, close to a quarter million fish, 250,000 fish in his lifetime. Now, out of all those fish, how many do you think had a four drachma coin in their mouth? I'm guessing none. And Jesus says, essentially, I know you've caught a quarter million fish in your life. I know none of them have had a four drachma coin in their mouth. I know you know a lot about fishing, but I'm going to show you something that is way beyond your proficiency, way beyond your competency, way beyond your self-sufficiency. The the next fish you catch is going to have a four drachma coin in its mouth, and if you've caught 250,000 fish, you've never caught one with a coin in its mouth, this has to seem like the least likely miracle in the world. That's, I think, why Jesus does it that way. I, I, I think Jesus wanted to do a miracle where Peter least expected it. Which leads me to this question. Where are you most proficient? Where are you most self-sufficient? Maybe that's precisely where God wants to do something, wants wants you to believe him, to do something wild or out there that's that's actually way beyond your proficiency or your self-sufficiency. God can make provision for you that's, that's something in ways that you've never dreamed of if you're willing to go fishing for four drachma coins. God, God chose to reveal himself in a new way in Peter's life where he thought he knew it all. Peter, this professional fisherman, but Jesus one-ups him. He says, you think you've seen it all, but, but you haven't seen anything yet. God, God I, I think, may want to do something miraculous in your life in an area where you think you've got it all figured out, or maybe you think Jesus doesn't have anything relevant to say about it. So Jesus tells Peter to go fishing for a four-drachma coin. This may rank as one of the craziest set of instructions in the Bible. It ranks right up there with God telling Gideon to attack with a a jar and a trumpet, (laughs) you know, Or inviting the the Israelites to leave the battering ram at home and just walk around the city of Jericho. Or to Noah, build an ark in the midst of a drought. What I love about Peter, and I think this is what we can really learn from him and his spirit, is his willingness to obey even when it doesn't make sense. It's this whole because you said so principle that's just so evident in his life. How about you? Has the Holy Spirit ever prompted you to do something that seemed kind of crazy? I I wonder if all of us will look back on our lives someday and realize that it's our willingness to obey the the maybe crazy promptings of God that that make us or break us. You know, I think about how years ago, how God clearly led Angel and I to buy a house with no money. I mean it, we had no money. We had zero credits. We, had, we, we didn't have parents who had deep pockets. But through a remarkable set of circumstances, we sensed God clearly leading us to buy this place. It didn't make any sense. It, it certainly was the most out-on-the-limb uh, moment of my life <laughs> where we signed the papers to this thing where I'm going, I don't know why, why we're doing this. It seemed totally crazy to us. But we did. We did. And God totally showed up. I'm, I'm serious. For us, it seemed for us as unlikely as finding a coin in a fish's mouth. In, in terms of crazy promptings, in some senses, there's a, that's a little bit where our church is at right now. This, this last year or so, uh, you know, our, our, our church leadership have been looking at designs and plans for how we can rebuild this place and preserve it for the future and use it for the future. And as we've been looking at the vision that God has given us to to reach our community, to have more and more stories like Saeed and and Kirsten in our midst, uh, to be a force of good in our world, and to help people connect with God, their greatest need, and grow and and serve. And as part of that vision, we've, we've sensed God calling us to reclaim what we've been given, to have children's ministry rooms and youth ministry rooms that function, to have a a kitchen that works better and can facilitate hospitality, to reclaim a broken courtyard and make it a center of hospitality and ministry, to have a a working HVAC system so that in the winter we're warm and in the summer, God help us, we'll be cool, amen? Amen. I, I, I get excited when I think about actually opening our facility up. The next extreme weather event, we'll be opening up our facility and saying, come on in, neighbors, come on in, it's cool in here. Wouldn't that be great? But i got to say, this season, this has been a daunting process for our leadership. All this is in a season where we've seen some of our core families move away you know, we're coming out of a, a pandemic when everyone's asking the question, what's church like now? What is the new normal? And, and we, we know there's families. We wonder, are they ever coming back? All the logic might, might say to, is to set, step back, to, to hit pause. Except for the one thing we have strongly heard God whispering to us. Go fish. Years ago, one of our members had this strong sense he was to go on one of our mission trips to Kenya. I remember him telling me, he said, Derwin, this, this trip does not make any sense. Especially for me, it does not make any sense for me economically to go. I'm gonna be off work for three weeks. I'm I'm self-employed, Derwin. I mean, this, this is a double whammy. I'm not gonna be working for that time, and I also need to pay for the trip. But he felt God nudging him, and so he said yes, and he went i got to tell you, when he came back, he couldn't wait to tell me of the stories of how God used him in Kenya. Just the the kind of stuff that happened while he was there. And and he also went on to say, God, in a crazy way, provided for me. This trip did not cost me a dime. I'm not out a dollar. (laughs) right? And I saw in him uh, this audacious willingness, kind of a Peter spirit, to obey the nudgings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, even when he didn't know what would happen. You know, I, I, I wonder, I, I have a Gmail account. Many of you have Gmail, you know. And uh, when you send an email and no one rep- they don't reply to you, you get this little line. Do you remember what it is? After about four or five days, do you remember what it says? Dismiss nudge. <laughs> Dismiss nudge. And you can click it so that you don't have to think about it ever again. Like they're giving you a nudge. Uh, you know? Do you want to reach out to this person again? And I wonder with our journey with God, whether some of us have become kind of practiced at that. God's whispering. God's leading. He's nudging. And we're clicking dismiss nudge. <laughs> dismiss nudge. Dismiss nudge. Anyone guilty like me? Anyone? Bueller? I don't know any, a lot of things, but I know this. If you are willing to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then God will use you in bigger ways. It's about being faithful in the small things. It's about obeying the still, small voice of the Spirit. Let me, let me say this. I don't want to be misunderstood. From the scripture, from the examples I've shared, it might seem like I'm advocating some kind of name whatever you want kind of thing, kind of faith. God supplying houses and riches, just prosperity our way. Now, don't get me wrong, God does provide for his people. This is an example, this miracle is an example of miraculous provision. God does provide. But let me remind you of a passage where where Jesus gave a crazy prompting, prompting to a rich young man, the rich young ruler we know him as, to go home and sell all you have and give it to the poor. That was God's prompting too. Jesus himself heard the prompting of the Spirit that led him to say in the garden, If it be your will, take this cup from me. But Jesus followed that crazy prompting that led him to the cross to die on our behalf. This series of seeking God to show up in our lives is not about our glory. It's not about some materialistic gain or getting ahead or getting what we want. It's about seeing God's power and kingdom and glory and having it show up in our world. And... God willing, in our lives and in our church. This miracle in in, in Matthew 17 was totally unprecedented. I shared this last week, but let me say it again. You can't plan Pentecost. You can't plan the outpouring of God's Spirit. Everything that happened that day 2,000 years ago was unplanned and unprecedented. And I'm praying for God to do something unprecedented in my life and in yours. Are you open? Let me ask you again. Are you open to God doing something unprecedented in you? I have a confession, though. I seem to have this kind of default setting that is so hard to change. I'm always telling God what to do and how to do it. Anyone? Right? But this series is, is about seeking God and, and seeking his will. It's about praying, learning how to pray. It's about adding scripture to our lives. It's about letting God reveal to us what we ought to pray and believe him for. And there's a pretty good distinction, I think, between man-made goals and, and God-inspired promises. If you kind of can plot it out, if you know how and, 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 and just the, 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 the why's, the what's, the how's of how it's going to happen, it's probably man-made. But if there's a big piece of it that doesn't make sense or actually requires that you you trust God, it's probably God-inspired. Let me share a conviction. I think God is most glorified when he does things that are humanly impossible. D.L. Moody said this, attempt something so great for God that it's doomed for failure unless God be in it. I'm not, again, talking about seeking God for selfish purposes. It's not, it's not seeking God and allow. It's about seeking God and allowing God to glorify himself by doing miracles in our lives. Where do we start? We start by seeking. We start by listening, by paying attention to, to how God is moving. I think these last 10 days... It's not that we're calling us to have a 365-day prayer and fasting. But in some senses, we need to get in the rhythm of seeking God regularly, of of putting him first and asking the question, what is he doing in our lives? What is he stirring? And and next week, we're going to look at how it actually involves waiting. But this week, as, as I've been seeking, I've been more intentional about identifying some of the things that I'm beginning to believe God for. And I think this can be a helpful part of our prayer. This is not all of prayer, but it can be a helpful part of prayer to name what you'd like to see God do in your life. Where would you like to see him move? What would you like to see him change? What would you like to see him do in our community? What would you like to see happen in your neighborhood or your workplace where you live and you work, you live, Your relationships, what would you like to do or see God do in that area of your life where you are most proficient and self-sufficient? You know, there's a uh, restaurant by the Sea of Galilee that'll place a shekel coin in the mouth of a grilled St. Peter's fish. You can go there and get, get one. I like that. And I, I think it's a funny little kind of whimsical little reminder that when we walk with Jesus, we can expect to be surprised at what he does does, and how he leads. Why don't we pray? Bow your heads with me. Oh God, we know that you are no genie in a bottle. That's not certainly your idea of prayer that we would come to you and rub our lamp and, and get what we want. God, you, you, you invite us into a relationship, a living relationship. And, and actually, you, you care about our hearts and, and you, you shape our desires. And uh, we want to say this morning, we want to know what it is you want us to hope for and believe you for and seek you for. Scripture after scripture throughout the whole Bible tells us that when we seek you, we'll find you. So I pray, would you honor our seeking? I I pray for every person here that as they've looked to you, even this last week, that they would meet you. Lord, sometimes seeking is hard, and I just pray you would give us a, a, a tenacity and an intensity about our seeking, that we might get serious about seeking you first above all else, seeking your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord. Lead us, we pray. I pray by your grace and in your mercy. You would... You would draw us into the kind of God story you want to write on our lives. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.